The legacy media is every bit as dishonest, immoral, and corrupt as you and I suspect. Today, I'm going to be talking with a legacy media reporter who recently left the mainstream media. She finally resigned out of principle. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. My producer, Jacob, made that awesome new uh, intro promo. I'm really happy with it. I hope you like that as well. So today I am pleased to be joined by Rachel Emanuel. Rachel is a parliamentary reporter now with the Western Standard. She used to be part of the legacy media in Ottawa. She's part of the parliamentary press gallery. She worked with iPolitics and she resigned out of principle, which is what we're going to be talking about today. She said that this uh, story, the, the reason that she left was over the Chrissia Freeland story, the one that we wrote and broke uh, here at True North, and that her editor changed it, uh, edited it without uh, her permission. This isn't the first time that she says iPolitics has mischaracterized and heavily edited her words. So we're really excited to talk to her today. So Rachel, first of all, uh, welcome to the Independent Media, and thank you for joining the Candace Malcolm Show. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm excited to be here on both fronts. Great. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us about your background, uh, what led you into journalism, and where you worked prior to the Western Standard. Uh, sure. So I grew up in Niagara, Ontario. And um, actually, when I was in high school, I decided that I wanted to pursue journalism. Kathleen Wynne was the premier at the time. And um, I'm sure you remember all what a disaster that was. And I actually found that I was taking this writer's craft course and I would frequently be writing about her many scandals. Um, people in my class hated editing my work. Um, but at that point I decided I was gonna pursue journalism. So I studied journalism at Carleton University. Um, I got pretty lucky immediately out of university. I got an internship at the Globe and Mail here in Ottawa. So I was working at their parliamentary bureau. Um, and then I got hired at iPolitics right after that. And that was uh, just under three years ago. Um, so all in all, I've been in journalism at the federal level for about three years, you know, I've done some other internships at my local newspaper at home and things like that. So I haven't been, you know, in the industry for a super long time, um, but certainly I had hoped to make it work in the mainstream media. And I realized very quickly that that was not going to be a possibility for me. Well, I, I, you say that you got lucky with uh, with being placed at the Globe and Mail, but I think it's probably because you're an excellent writer and, that, and that's probably why they selected you. I, I want to pick up on something you said. You said that you were writing about Kathleen Wynne and your, your classmates hated that. Uh, did you find that even in high school, there was a pro-liberal bias? So, no, I didn't have that at my high school. Certainly, um, Niagara is actually like a very pretty conservative part of the country. It's called like the Bible Beltway. Um, I definitely went to a very conservative school growing up. I think people in grade 12 just largely weren't interested in politics and nobody could really understand why I was and they had no okay. interest in reading about it. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Got it. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I was obsessed with politics uh, when I was in university. My friends would just roll their eyes if I started talking about it at a party or something. Um, so so let's talk a little bit about this piece that you wrote for the Western Standards. So uh, congratulations on moving over there. Derek Fildebrandt, the editor, is lucky to have you. And it, it really is a remarkable piece. So why don't you tell us, I, I know we broke the story here at True North about Chrissy Freeland holding the Stefan Bandera banner, which is a, Stefan Bandera was a prominent Nazi during the Second World War. He, well, at least he collaborated with the Nazis in Germany and had his hand, his militias had a hand in, in murdering hundred, uh, over 100,000 Poles and Jews. Uh, we wrote about it. I didn't think that the legacy media would pick up on it. It seemed like the story got so big online that they couldn't really ignore it. So why don't you walk us through the process of how you came to want to write about it, you pitched it to your editor, and how you and why why and how you wrote about it. 
Yeah. So it's kind of a complicated story. So actually I'd seen that you guys had written about it and I thought, well, okay, like I have to cover this. Um, And I kind of thought the same thing that you had thought on Twitter. I didn't know if anyone else in the MSM was going to cover it. So what we were dealing with at iPolitics was uh, very critical staffing levels at the time. So we didn't actually have like an official editor in place. A colleague and I were tag teaming like editor duties. So um, when I pitched it, I sort of just told my team, this is what I'm working on. And certainly my other like co-editor knew that I was going to be writing it. Um, and you guys had come up with the story, I believe, on the Monday. And just because I was so busy, I didn't have a chance to write it until Wednesday. Um, and as soon as I had emailed like Freelance Office, they called me and they tried to sort of talk me out of writing the story, you know, using some of the like it's disinformation techniques. And I thought like, no, I'm, I said to them, you know, I'm going to cover it. I appreciate your comments. Um, put this in an email or give it to me on the record. I find that government offices have such a bad habit of calling you and they'll tell you all these things off the record. And I'm like, you need to say this to the Canadian people. Like, there's no reason for this conversation to be on background. Put it in an email, tell it to me on the record. So I said that to them. And they followed up with a rather lengthy email response, which I was pleased to see. You know, a lot of times they give you sort of non answers, but it was quite lengthy. So I was like, okay, great. I have something to work with here. So Wednesday, I wrote up the story. Um, and then I was actually uh, walking home from work. And when I got a call from um, an editor who, is like I didn't think I technically started with the publication yet I thought she was starting a little bit later so I was just surprised to see her call and then she said that we had received a call she had received a call rather from Christia Freeland's office um, who was upset with some of the wording um, in the article and what they characterize as factual inaccuracies i.e my use of the term um, banner over scarf which an editor and I who had worked on the story had actually made the decision to refer to it as a banner because of how it was being used it was being held it wasn't being it wasn't thrown around someone's shoulders carelessly um, and they also were upset with the editorial framing of the article. Um, and then a couple hours later, you know, time goes by and then I get another call saying that my article has been um, edited and changed online. And, and my editor kind of goes, I want to know like what happened. Um, how did this mistake get made? And I was like, what, what mistake? So then I went online and saw the changes that were made and I absolutely did not agree with them or even have prior knowledge of them to them being made. Wow. So that's incredible. And so, so they, the, the, your, your editor received a phone call from Chrissy Freeland, from someone in her office, basically upset that the piece didn't mimic the talking points that she had told you on background. So you, you, you on your own independently decided to write the story in the narrative that you thought was accurate to the point where they went above your head, bullied your editor and changed it. That, that, that's really remarkable. That, that kind of, uh, you call it pressure in your Western Standard piece, but uh, to me that, that that's government interference in the media in 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 the most uh damaging way possible and and the fact that that happened here in canada uh is is newsworthy and i think i think everyone should be aware of it so was was this was this the first time something like this had happened or or is this sort of a common theme at ipolitics and i assume uh, more broadly in the legacy media Sure. So, I mean, I can only speak to my experience at iPolitics. I'd heard rumors that the National Post had also been um, receiving some pressure for their piece. You know, obviously, Christopher Freeland's office was upset that it was even being covered. Um, I think, like, for me, I wasn't even necessarily surprised that her office called us. It is sort of a minister's prerogative to call someone when they deem a story to be unfair and inaccurate. But as your writer, it's your sincere hope that your editors will back your work. Um, and certainly that was not my experience in this instance and also in previous instances um, I found just sort of, as I mentioned in my op-ed, like just a lot of pressure about the things that I was writing about and the way that they were being covered, not necessarily even from government offices. This was obviously sort of like a one-off from that instance, to my knowledge. Um, 
but definitely just in terms of like COVID coverage that there is sort of like a certain way that we were going to be covering these things. There was an editorial tone that we were going to be taking. Um, and I did not agree with that editorial tone. And that caused a lot of tension and a lot of conflict in the office between me and my editors um, on a fairly regular basis to the point where I was either like, I can write about these issues and it can turn into such a big fight. and We're all going to be working late and arguing all night over a specific wording or I can just agree to let them take their editorial tone with it and then be unhappy and uncomfortable with words that are being published under my name. Or I can just avoid covering the topics that I think are important and just do the stories that they want me to do. And life will be easy for everybody. Wow, that's, that's such a compromise that, you know, for someone who goes into journalism because they're passionate, because they're interested, because they want to have a voice um, and, and to be treated that way. Uh, later in your op-ed for the Western Standard, you write, uh, when I wrote about a federal MP who was concerned about restrictions on mobility rights, editors mi mischaracterized my work as being anti-vax and anti-science. I was told to stop giving a platform to voices that oppose mandatory vaccines and lockdowns because such views represented just a radical and small minority of Canadian society. So much for journalists being a voice for the voiceless. So can you can you explain uh, what you mean by uh, they just mischaracterized your work as being anti-vax and anti-science? Sure. So this, um, that part of the op-ed was re specifically referring to like a specific conversation that I had with an editor that basically it led to like a boiling paint point. So there was like a bunch of disagreements that we had. And then it led to an, a meeting between me and the two editors at the time where they said, we're just very concerned about your work lately. Um, we're concerned about the views that you're presenting and the views that you're putting forward. And we need to have a talk about this and you need to basically like stop doing this. Um, and when I was writing the op-ed, it was actually like a difficult thing for me to write just because I'm not used to writing from my own perspective and sharing my perspective on things. It's like a first time for me. So I was having a hard time deciding what to write. And then I sort of just went back and anytime I'd had a conflict with an editor or disagreement, I recorded all those conversations. And so I started listening to them again and I was kind of reminded of how bad things had gotten for a little while there. So that conversation was specifically during, I think like the boiling point of the COVID-19 pandemic when we just had such like restrictions across Canada. And the really unfortunate time for us, like in Canada at that time was also that, you know, under Aaron O'Toole, the conservative opposition was really not speaking out against any of these things. Um, you know, Trudeau light, they were sort of just going along with everything the government was doing and we didn't have an official opposition in any way. And so the one person we did actually have who was speaking out against these things was Derek Sloan, who was obviously kicked out of the conservative party, um, largely for being too conservative. Um, so I was kind of consistently referring to him because I knew that he's represented so many Canadians who were upset with how things were going. And I knew that because I know people that are upset with how things were going. I'm very aware that there was deep pockets of the country where people were very angry at the direction that Canada had taken. And I knew that Derek Sloan had so much support because the Conservatives were being silenced and, you know, they have to answer for that themselves. Um, but my editors couldn't wrap their heads around that. They're like, he's just one person. He's just an independent MP. Like he doesn't have a lot of power in the government. So like, there's no point to give credence to what he's saying. And I was like, I know he represents so many people. And obviously we've seen that since then. We've seen that with supports for the Chuckers Combo. He really did represent a lot of people. And so whenever I was like writing pieces, I would refer back to him for comment a lot because he was the one person in federal government who was willing to speak out against these things. Um, but yes, I was a lot of times talking about like how, how much our restrictions had been limited and and especially like when the vaccines first came out, the recommendations on vaccines was changing quite frequently, like who should get which doses and like which vaccine was best for which groups and if there was any side effects. And so a lot of people were concerned and said, I'm not jumping to get this, like the recommendations changing every other month, like I'm going to wait this out, like I want to see how it goes. And I was just basically told that putting forward those views was like an anti-vax status. And just that I, 
would put forward views that anybody would question these things or that anyone would be skeptical or unsure. Um, it was, I was basically being told that it was anti-science to write about perspectives that wasn't like the government's perspective on like the science of the time, which as we know was changing all the time. It's wild. And, and you also mentioned that your editors told you to default to the government science. So it's not just science because you, you've, you've found credible doctors and scientists to say, you know, we have concerns about this policy, X policy, Y uh, recommendation for a vaccine. And, and, and yet you, you wrote that your editors told you to just defer to wh whatever the federal government was saying, which, which puts another layer of complication there. Rich, let's take a step back. Why, why is it that the media in this country is so one-sided, why are they so willing to go to bat and defend Christia Freeland and the Liberal government? And why are they so, uh, I, don't, I don't know if weary is the right word, or hostile uh, towards conservative sentiments, conservative values, and conservative principles? Sure, that's certainly something I've been reflecting about um, quite a bit over the last number of days. And I think the only answer that I can really come up with is I just don't think there's a lot of people from different backgrounds within mainstream media right now. Um, it's very difficult to be different than what the mainstream media is. It's difficult to have an independent way of thinking or a different way of thinking. And I certainly tried. I really tried. I wanted to stay. I wanted to be a voice that I felt what didn't exist in, in legacy media. Um, but I just had to leave because I was sort of pushed out in the sense that I couldn't write about stories I wanted to write in a way that I was comfortable with. And so like, even now after I wrote the, wrote the op-ed, some people said to me like, oh, you know, like I hope iPolitics receives pushback for this. And I, I just thought to myself like, as maybe I should be more angry about what happened there. I don't feel angry partly because I did really like the people that I worked with. I had good relationships with them and I liked them on a personal level. Just the political ideology made it very difficult. And obviously like my editorial tone was not aligned with theirs. Um, but I liked them on a personal level and I just knew that they couldn't see like my side of things and they couldn't realize that there was a different perspective. I don't know why that is. Um, is it just because they haven't been around like real conservatives before and they don't know like what real conservatives believe in? I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand that. And I actually had said that to my editors at one point. I said, I understand your perspectives. I understand where you're coming from. Every single day I come into the, I come into work and I have to put myself in your perspectives because I know that's the editorial lens that you are wanting me to put my work through. But I don't feel like there's any effort being made to put yourself in the perspective of someone else and the perspective of people that are uncomfortable with the vaccines. And so I don't know if that's just because they haven't, like I said, been around real conservatives or just an unwillingness to understand that there's a different side of things, but it is very unfortunate. And I don't really see it changing anytime soon because it is so difficult to be, you know, to think differently than the legacy media does and work within that ecosystem right now. Well, it's their prerogative, right? Like if iPolitics wants to be a left-leaning, big L liberal publication, they can. That's their prerogative. Uh, True North tries to cover the other side of the story. Here, we try to put forth more of a small C conservative editorial position. Uh, I think I think the major difference is that True North, at True North, you know what you're going to get. You know that we have a small C conservative editorial position and, and those are our values. Uh, whereas when it comes to legacy media, they don't tell you that. They, they sort of pretend that they are the arbiters of truth, that they are completely neutral, that they're fair and unbiased. Um, all you have to do is look at the difference between the way that they covered the uh, one provocateur that showed up with a Nazi flag at the truckers rally. Um, you know, Trudeau characterized uh, every conservative there as standing with those who wave a swastika. Uh, whereas when Chrystia Freeland, someone who is so deeply steeped 
in Ukrainian politics. She's lived in Kiev. She studied in Kiev. Her mother helped draft the constitution of that country, and she was there uh, throughout that process. She understands Ukrainian politics better, perhaps, than anyone in Canada. Um, and we're supposed to believe that she just didn't really know what she was doing, give her the benefit of the doubt, and uh, not get her uh, to take responsibility, not be held account. It's a strange state in the media where uh, journalists feel the need to defend a very powerful politician as opposed to hold them accountable. Uh, Rachel, one of the things that I get some pushback from um, is the fact that we are sort of polarizing the media, right? So you have the legacy media over there. More and more conservatives are leaving the media. And uh, what, you know, whether you describe yourself as conservative or just an alternative thinker, independent thinker, um, contrarian, whatever... Uh, more and more of those types of people are leaving the media. We're creating our own uh, infrastructure and ecosystem over here. Um, and so so you kind of have this situation where uh, people only talk and listen to people that they agree with and that they uh, already know that they're going to share the values with. Uh, do, do, do you see concern in that? Or do you think that it, this is a necessary thing that conservatives have to do because we don't have, uh, we're no longer basically welcomed in the legacy media? I think it's a necessary thing that needs to be done. I think the media is very skewed. It has definitely moved to one side and like, what are our other options? We're, we can't just like let that be the case and, and step out of politics. That's not absolutely not the response that we need to have. Um, and even as I said, you know, like I didn't wish ill on anyone that I worked with formerly. It was hard for me to make the decision to write this piece because there was like a piece of me that was like, I could just say nothing and like move to the Western standard and like be done with it all. Like, do I really want to deal with like the drama and like the headache of it? And like, I don't want to make anyone that I worked with like feel badly, but you know, there's a bit of a responsibility when you're a journalist, you are sort of a public figure. Like people know who you are, they know your work. Um, so I did feel like I owed an explanation. People were certainly asking me what had happened. Um, and also just to expose the truth, like it is uncomfortable. It was an uncomfortable experience for me, but it's necessary for these things to come out. Um, and, you know, like, I think legacy media gets their backup because alternative media, conservative media, whatever you want to call it, will sort of point out the inconsistencies and the hypocrisies within it. But they do need to be held accountable. There are public figures. They're putting out news. Um, trust in media is at a, is an all-time low right now. Um, so people in the public are certainly noticing this and they're upset with it. So I think it's absolutely incumbent on us to be sort of pointing these things out and to be filling in that gap. There is definitely like an underserved part of the Canadian population who doesn't feel like they have news sources that they can turn to. And when I actually was interviewing at the Western Standard, they said to me, we don't want to be known as conservative media. Now you can argue whether or not they've achieved that. We just want to write for a conservative audience. Um, we want to cover stories that the mainstream media won't cover that conservatives will read, which is essentially what I had been trying to do at iPolitics, just with my hands tied behind my back. So it seemed like it was going to be a very good fit for me. And absolutely, it makes sense that you know the Western Standard and True North doesn't need to rely on government funding because conservatives um, and other independent thinkers are willing to pay for this news that they can't get elsewhere. Absolutely. Uh, have you heard any any um, feedback or blowback from your column so far? Um, the feedback has been largely positive. Um, I've had a lot of a lot of support for it for sure. I've even had some people say, you know, I don't necessarily agree with your views, but you know, you shouldn't have had your work edited, or you should have been allowed to write as you wish. And I absolutely respect that. Your it is your freedom to say these things now. Um, haven't heard from any of my uh, former colleagues, which I don't think is terribly surprising. I mean, there was maybe a bit of shock about the whole situation. Maybe I'll hear from some of them yet, and perhaps not, which wouldn't be terribly surprising either. 
Great. Well, I think uh, it's really exciting for you and your career that you've uh, come on over to the independent side. And I think that the the future is really bright for independent media. There's so many more people interested in this perspective and uh, that more and more people see through what is happening in the media. You, you said that trust in media is at an all-time low. I mean, uh, the Chrissy Freeland's office and liberal government could just pick up the phone, demand that a piece gets edited uh, to suit their worldview, and an editor says absolutely and changes it without a reporter's permission. It's uh, it's unbelievable that this is the practice in Canadian media. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much for blowing the whistle and exposing the, uh, this kind of behavior because I think Canadians really deserve to know uh, just how deep that relationship goes between the Trudeau Liberal government. Uh, by and large, uh, subsidizing and paying so many of these media outlets um, and and the way that they get what they want, essentially, which is just uh, news that mirrors their their worldview. It's, it's really incredible. So uh, thank you for doing this. And we uh, look forward to seeing what you will do over at the Western Standard. Thank you for joining us here at True North. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Candice. All right. That is Rachel Emanuel. You can find her over at the Western Standard. I'm Candice Malcolm, and this is The Candice Malcolm Show.